With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And so I walked in and Michael Jordan's ironing, ironing clothes. I said, is this a setup? You know, is this for the, will you give me some color for the story? <laughs> he says, no, no, no. He says, I iron my clothes. You know, I sew. How do you, how'd you learn? So he said, when I was in high school, I took home economics courses. And he said, so I can cook and sew and do all those things. Today's show is brought to you by Roy's Umbrella. Folks, for all of your home loan needs, make sure you go to roysumbrella.com. And if you need more information on a reverse mortgage, schedule an appointment with one of Roy's specialists at Roy's Umbrella. No tricks, no nonsense, no extra or hidden charges at the end. And folks, I talk about loyalty. Roy has been so loyal to me and the people that I have referred him to, they say that Roy treats them like family. He'll do the same for you. Trust me on this, folks. For all all of your home loan needs, go to roysumbrella.com. That's roysumbrella.com. My guest on the show today currently is with bulls.com, but he is the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Jordan Rule, spent uh, several decades at the Chicago Tribune. He is uh, a guy that has received a lot of honors uh, throughout his career, the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Pro Basketball Writers Association, the recipient of the Kurt Gowdy Media Award for the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. He also grew up in Brooklyn. I grew up in Syosset. I went to Bowling Green, and I thought that when I got to Bowling Green, it was in the middle of nowhere until I made my first trip to Muncie, Indiana, to Ball State, and then I said to myself, wow, now here's a place that's in the middle of nowhere. That's where Sam Smith got his master's, and he joins us on the show. Sam, it's great to have you on. How are you? Great. Great to hear your voice again. Great to talk to you. And, you know, with the honors, I think I'm peaking right now, <laughs> right here in this. So I did end up going to Muncie, Indiana. You may even mention the guy. I, I, I had no idea where it was, and I, I didn't even know Ball State was the university when I was fishing <laughs> around right. for, for masters. But I remembered watching a football game and to- and. Timmy Brown with the Eagles had, had turned back-to-back kickoffs for touchdowns, and they said he was from Ball State. Wow. That's the only, that's the only reason I ended up, you know, at a, sort of a lark when I applied to other schools, sending an application there, and I ended up going and had a great experience. And did not meet David Letterman, 
but uh, yeah. had, had a great experience nonetheless. Well, what I remember the most about Ball State is when I went there to announce basketball games between Ball State and Bowling Green, I remember a, a guy by the name of Ray McCallum who seemingly scored 40 points yeah. every game and could make shots from literally anywhere on the floor. Yeah, little Ray McCallum. They had some interesting uh, uh, basketball teams over the years and, and, and some interesting players in football. I remember uh, Suggs, I think it was Schaefer Suggs with the Jets yeah. came out of Ball State. So there was kind of a sprinkling of entertainment. It wasn't didn't what's his name? The Marquette coach uh, coached there for a while, huh. and had a nice run. Uh, you know, worked for Alvin McGuire, McGuire all those years, and yep. then Coach Marquette who died, coached Utah. You know, as we get older, we forget all these names. Oh, I mean, he's a friend of mine. He's a friend of mine that I forget. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with Neil Funk, and I did not know this about you. He was telling me that you really began your career as a political reporter and spent a couple of years in Washington. What was that like for you? I did. It was it was a great experience, and what I found in part was uh, the, the transition to sports easy. I mean, I was growing up, you know, like we all are sports fans. Is that both both businesses are about keeping score, and essentially politics, as we see with polls and results and events, elections, whatever the case is. Most of the time, the political writers are keeping score. But I, yeah, I had I had been actually had a business degree in college, and. Realized I was a really poor business student, and I was fortunate to get an opportunity at a wire service in Washington, D.C., covering Congress. Literally the first day I was there, I had an assignment to go talk to Henry Kissinger before a congressional hearing. So it was a fabulous experience. Spent four years there and ended up, actually, when I was falling out with my employer, as it happens, those things happen, and and ended up one of the senators I was covering. I covered the New England delegation with my assignment for the most part. Got to know Ted Kennedy well and Lowell Weicker from Connecticut. So I was out of a job and he hired me as his press secretary. But after six months of that, I, I had still been looking to get into newspapers and got an offer from the Chicago Tribune to come and cover the 1980 presidential campaign and be on the staff. And so I got involved in that. And then, you know, a lot of life, as anybody will, as we all know, Working hard, which you hear, you know, from the players and everybody and all that stuff. That's good. Anyway, I know the thing about the harder you work, the luckier you get. But an awful lot is luck and being in the right place at the right time. And so I was at the Chicago Tribune on the national staff. And it was sort of between elections. And I was doing different things. And we had a program where you could spend a period of six months writing for the Sunday magazine, which was a great thing. And they ended up doing some Sunday magazine features. One was on the CBA, the old CBA, which came to G League. And I ended up going to Albany, New York, to do, a, do some stories on the CBA. This guy, Phil Jackson, former Knicks player, happened to be coaching there. And so I spent a lot of time there, got to know Phil. And when he came back in Chicago, asked me at some point about changing roles. And so I said, well, I'd like to give sports a try. You know, I grew up, you know, like everybody else, interested in, interested in sports. So it turned out, and this was like 82, 83, and early Simon, the Bulls end up drafting this kid, Michael Jordan. So I remember going to that draft and Rod Thorne said, look, you know, who had drafted a lot of shooting guards, Quentin Bailey and Reggie Theus, and some had success, some didn't. Reggie, as you guys know from Sacramento. And so I remember on draft night day or day in the morning, do you remember drafts were in the morning then, weren't televised or anything 
ours was at the Bismarck Hotel, and they would have fans in. And he said, look, you know, you know it's not like a, we're going to draft a shooting guard that's going to turn our franchise around or anything. This is a good player, and we'll see where it goes from here. And so the first week, literally, I was sent up to the rookies' of, you know, ha- apartment uh, near the practice facility, spent a day with them. You know, you know what day in the life of a rookie first coming to Chicago, and so I walked in and Michael Jordan's ironing, ironing clothes. I said, "Is this a setup? You know, is this for the? <laughs> will you give me some color for the story?" <laughs> he says, "No, no, no." He says, "I iron my clothes. You know, I sew." And I said, "Well, I don't do those things. How do you? How'd you learn?" He said, "Well, I was I was always so embarrassed by looks. You know, I had the big ears." And I never thought girls would like me. So he said, when I was in high school, I took home economics courses. And he said, so I can cook and sew and do all those things. I was fortunate, basically, to walk in on the start of Michael Jordan's career in Chicago. And I'm proud of the successes and the things I've done. But (laughs) no offense, if I walked in in the beginning of, you know, Thompson's career in Sacramento might not have been the same. <laughs> Sam, that is very well said. You know, the Jordan Rule is obviously, you know, a bestseller, such a successful book. But boy, it was hell for you for a while. Was there ever a time before the book got to the bestseller list where you said, gee, I, I, what the hell am I thinking? Why did I do this? Actually, I mean, it was to some extent, even though I, I knew it was fair and accurate and and what I'm most proud of over the years, I mean, it's mentioned a lot in the Last Dance documentary, which got me a, you know, a, a little bit of celebrity, which enabled me to be on your podcast. <laughs> but, but at the time, it, it became this incredible sensation. And I was, I was really unprepared for it, surprised and probably a little naive about the impact that, that it would have. And because, you know, from traveling around with a team, the things that are going on, you know, just sort of become, you know, part of your family experience. So I've been traveling with the Bulls uh, for three or four years, and a lot of the things that had happened, I had written about. When he, he got a fight, Jordan had a fight at practice with Will Perdue. You know, he called him Will Vanderbilt. He said he wasn't, you know, he wasn't a good enough player or tough enough to be called <laughs> Perdue. <laughs> you know, I used to taunt his teammates like that. And so I'd written some of these things, and over the years, things that had happened. And then going into that season, again, right time, right place. I mean, I happened to pick the 90-91 season to write a diary of behind the scenes. Nobody really thinking the Bulls are going to win a title, including the Bulls. And in fact, there had been much written, as amazing as that would seem now, in Chicago media at the time, in 88-89, as they're losing to the Pistons every year in the playoffs, that you can't win a title with Michael Jordan on your team. That was a lot of the narrative around the NBA, that you needed, you know, Magic or Bird, Isaiah, players who are great players, but involved everybody else. You know, initially when Isaiah came into the NBA, he was an extraordinary scorer. Isaiah could average 30 points a game, but he toned down his play, his offense, to accommodate teammates as, you know, Bird and Magic, and that was the model at the time. So... So the notion, and I remember columns being written, I, I, I didn't happen to believe that. I did see this guy's extraordinary abilities. But none of us thought they were going to win. In fact, as you remember, the narrative that always then in the NBA was you had to go to the finals and lose, and, and, then, and then it was kind of your turn. And so Portland had lost, and then they broke out of the 
Gates that season, 1991, 19 and one. So the Bulls are like, hey, if we can beat Detroit, you know, just get, they're not even thinking about the finals. So I'm, you know, I just thought, well, I'm going to do this little diary of the season. You know, people are always saying, what's, what's, his, what's this guy really like? What's that guy really like? And, you know, I'm not going to print secrets. I'm not writing, you know, what they're doing on their private life. It's just basketball, what it's like on the court, in the locker room, all that sort of behind-the-scenes stuff. And, and modeled it, I had always been a big admirer of David Halberstam. And I'd loved the basketball book he had written, Breaks of the Game, about Portland. Again, you know, the right, he shows up to write a season diary and Bill Walton gets, had just gotten hurt. You know, my, my guy walks into a title. And sure. so when you put all this stuff together that he beat up a teammate and all of this, and Jordan had been developed over those years, there'd been a lot of resentment toward him around the NBA as a result. You know, he, Magic and Isaiah, of course, he had the big feud, but a lot of the stars did not like him and he because they were jealous that he was getting all this endorsement money and he doesn't want anything. And so there was this resentment building up and things going on like that. And so I thought, well, I'll just put all this stuff down. You know, I know it seemed harmless to me, you know, things he'd said or fights in practice. But then because it was Jordan and this image that had been built up of the perfect guy and doing all the all American products, you know, he only was you know, they had him only in other than Nike. I mean, he literally did, you know, Chevrolet, apple pie. I mean, he was that, that's what he was endorsing all this stuff. And he, and he was on David Letterman and Saturday Night Live. And so all this, when it came out, and of course, you know, as you get complained to us a lot of times, oh, you took out of context. You know, so bits and pieces were pulled out of this. And it became, and this is before not only the Internet, of course, but this is before even sports talk radio. But, but there was a confluence of events. So the book is about to come out, and the Bulls have won the title. And the book's not out yet. It's coming out right around the beginning of the next season. And the Bulls have a scheduled trip to the White House. So Jordan says he's not going. And you imagine what's going on in this era if, if the player does that. Oh, boy. And it wasn't political. It wasn't like I didn't like the president or anything. It was George Bush won. He liked him. Actually, he said as an aside, he said, I met him when he was vice president. I don't have to see him again. <laughs> but <laughs> – but so he's not going. So Scotty and Horace get upset. They say, well, he's not going. We're not going. So the team, he, he makes them go, but they can't make Michael go. So Michael and Michael said, well, why, why didn't you go? They go and the team comes back. He didn't go. And, you know, the team bonding thing. Oh, how could you let your team down kind of thing? And then he said, does a press conference. He said, well, I have a family vacation and, and your family is even more important than the president of the United States. They went, yeah, that's right. You know, Michael. But for his family, well, it turned out, no, it wasn't a family vacation. It was a gambling weekend with a convicted drug dealer. Wow. Uh, financed by a, a bail bondsman who got murdered shortly afterward. And they, in his private possessions, they found Jordan's checks. And that's how it's traced back to him. Wow. So this all comes out as the book is about to come out. And so it sort of gets lumped together. You know, I didn't write anything like that in the book. I didn't say anything like that. But it's sort of you know, got got superimposed upon one another. And now, you know, I'm public enemy number one in Chicago. The media, the the, the story in the media is is one story, and it's Sam Smith has destroyed the Bulls championship run. It's over at one because (laughs) of this book. And the community is in outrage, and I'm getting threats, and 
the newspaper takes me off the beat, tells me to stay home, don't go out. And Mike Dick is on TV blasting me, and Roy Williams goes on Chicago TV blasting me. But what bailed me out kind of, a couple of things. One was they then go out on a a road trip, and it starts a 14-game winning streak. So Mm. I haven't exactly destroyed the team since they now have just set the team a full-time franchise record for wins in a row. And then the other players, I mean, that's where all the information had come from. I mean, I, I, I couldn't have known all this. And so for all these years, all these players who were, yeah, I wouldn't call it bullying, but even Jordan admitted it in, in the last stance that he was a tough teammate. And I saw it the way he saw it. And, I, I, and that's why I, I thought it was sort of innocent, because I thought it was his way. You know, he wasn't loud, outspoken around the team other than the joking and the taunting and the, you know, the in-your-face kind of trash talk stuff. But he, but he was, I always felt he was using these tactics to push these guys and, you know, to get Scotty to be tougher because Scotty came in and was very timid. He used to get intimidated by the Pistons. And Horace, Horace weighed 195 pounds when he came to the Bulls. And wow. that's not going to put him in power forward. Huh. And so, you know, Michael is trying to get these guys to stand up, you know, to this duress. And so, I thought it was fine. I, 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 I understood that's what he was doing and was sort of writing it that way. And, but it came to be, well, it looks like a bully. And, but I didn't interpret it that sure. way. And I think, you know, in the last stance, it sort of came out where he even said, you know, I think people might not like me after this, but this was my way of being a leader. And, and I think it was. And also was this frustration that they were just coming into the NBA, all these guys, Pippen and and, and Grant and a lot of these guys, and he'd been there since '84, being beaten by Magic, being beaten by Bird, and Isaiah, and and he's considered the best player, got MVP, but he can't, you know, he can't get beyond the second round of the playoffs. And in fact, you know, what would the narrative be in this era? Michael Jordan in his first ten playoff games was one and nine. You know, they they pick on LeBron for not winning all these finals. Jordan couldn't win a playoff game, right? And so he's going nuts about this over the years, and so. You know, these the dynamics of building within. So, I mean, it was, you know, just a really fertile story to me walk into. And and then, of course, as they go on to win the, you know, win the title in 92, win the title in 93, I sort of become, as any of us do in this thing, where, you know, kind of lint on, lint on Jordan's shoulder, just kind of sweep him off. It's amazing. <laughs> so anyway, but it, it was a hectic time. You know, last uh, week, I had the director of The Last Dance on my podcast, Jason Hare. Obviously, you met him. You talked with him. I would think there were very few people that know or knew as much about the Bulls during that time than you did. So watching The Last Dance, was there anything that you kind of raised your eyebrows and said, whoa, or surprised you, or that you didn't agree with? What did you think of all of that? Nothing was a surprise. I mean, I was as close to that story. And that team as it was to my family. And you sure. know what it's like be, being on the, the road with Absolutely. a team for a season. You know, you're spending more time, as much time with them as you are at home. Because it's home and back. And especially back then, we're traveling commercial. You know, we're not flying out and getting home after the game. We're getting up five the next morning to catch an early flight. And traveling around the Midwest and the Northeast in the winter, you know, you know is no treat. So, yeah. So, I obviously, obviously did know you know, the story. 
And, you know, I sort of jokingly tell people when they ask me about it, I said, you know, it's like, it's like some of these TV movies where they say it's based on a true story. Because <laughs> so, it's not. And, but if you're going to tell your story, and, and, and that's what it was. It was Jordan's story. I know sometimes they get upset. and they, It wasn't a journalistic effort, but it wasn't supposed to be. It was supposed to be Michael for the first time basically in his life talking about himself his way. And, and so I, I'm for, I, I agree with that. He should have done that. And, you know, they, they were the ones who decided, you know, which quotes, which interviews, and, and that's fine. And they should. And I was all for that. And there were a couple of things that didn't exactly occur, like they said. One of them was the pizza incident. He wasn't poisoned. There was no poison pizza in it. So they made that up completely. And I don't know why they did, because the flu was enough. It was a good story. He was sick. But what really happened is he got altitude sickness. You know, we had been staying up in Park City for that for that finals and then driving down into Salt Lake, you know, for practice and back and forth and back and forth. And so he got altitude sickness going into that game. But it didn't sound like, you know, a good enough disease or illness. So they called it the flu, which was fine. I, I don't know for the documentary why they changed that to the poison pizza thing, which is complete nonsense. There was no such thing like that ever happened, but whatever. And, well, uh, not only that, no, how, how, how could have it been if they were staying in Park City, you know, the pizza uh, owner talked about it was in downtown Salt Lake City, was it not? That doesn't make sense. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's right. I know after it was because it was, you know, last March and there was nothing going on. It became this phenomenon. So now, you know, there were stories about it right afterwards. Everybody's fact checking it and, and whatever. So, yeah, so they found the pizza owner, which was I was amazed about. But I remember from the time, I remember the doctors saying what he had. And they said, well, we're just, let's, let's just call it the flu, and well, which he was sick. I mean, yes, he was sick. Sure. There was no question he, he was ill. Sure. And that's the other thing about Michael, which was really amazing as an aside. I mean, I've been around a lot of great athletes over the years, and I've never witnessed anything like him as far as I'm not with him all day long, but I knew from the things he did, he never slept. I mean, he may have slept an hour or two a night and was extraordinary. He'd be up all night playing cards. And I remember Magic talking about this, that that he'd play cards all night and wear them out. And they're saying, Michael, we're exhausted. We've got to go to sleep. No, no, no. One more hand, one more hand. Then they all go off to sleep and he goes to meet Chuck Bailey, you know, at seven o'clock for a tea time. And that was true. That stuff went on all the time. He had a couple of guys early on, one of them who's still with him, Fred Whitfield, uh, Charlotte, or I think maybe he's with Nike now. And these three guys, they would, buddies of his we grew up with, would meet him on the road and they'd play cards in his room all night. And then he'd play golf, you know, get up and go play golf somewhere. And then there'd be a playoff game at night and he'd get like 56. That's unbelievable. <laughs> he did it all the time. Oh, it, it, hey, throughout his career, you know what surprised yeah, you know what surprised the heck out of me. Speaking of golf, was the part in the Last Dance where they talked about Michael and Danny Ainge in the Chicago right. Boston series playing golf on an off day, and I know Danny very well. And I got to tell you, that surprised the hell out of me that Danny and Michael, being the competitors that they were, would be playing golf together in the middle of the Boston Chicago series. Did that? But I guess that didn't surprise you, did it? No, no, because he, he did stuff like that, you know, on off days. And in fact, the other, the other story about that, that, uh, that we heard, heard, you know, of course they didn't mention it, is 
supposedly, you know, he did that a couple of times and then got sick for that game three. If you check the box score, and it was a sweep. You know, Boston that was a great, maybe one of the greatest Boston teams ever. That, you know, 40 and one at home, you know, Bird, McHale, Parrish, four Hall of Famers plus Danny. You know, it was this two-sport athlete. I mean, it's one of the great teams ever. And so in game three, I think Michael had like 19 points after the 63. I think he got sick, you know, before because he had been, you know, usual up all night. So we had seen him do these kind of things over the years. It's become something in this era that, you know, on. Yeah, I don't know if you remember this episode. It was in the playoffs in New York. And of all things, I remember the New York Times went to Cirque. And between playoff games, I think it was the conference finals or the semifinals, probably the conference finals. It was, must have been 92 or 93, 93. And so, so Jordan goes to Atlantic City between the games right. in New York. Right. In New York, make, they go nuts about this. The stories in the New York Times, like I said, editorial. And Dave Anderson is a wonderful, a wonderful journalist and wonderful man. Nice to everybody is like right Steve Collins. He's horrified. How could he do this to his team? And it became like the story of, of the series. And I remember so someone interviewed me there about this, being with Jordan in Chicago. And they said, what do you think about this? I said, I was shocked. He got in a two. I've never known him to get in that early. <laughs> that's beautiful. I mean, really, that's right. the way it was. Right. We couldn't believe they were upset about that. <laughs> that is absolutely beautiful. Is it true that here we are nearly 30 years after the book came out and Michael Jordan has never spoken to you about the book? It's true. I'm convinced. I have no evidence exactly, but I'm convinced he never read it. Michael, well, Michael himself would admit he's not a reader. You know, he always, Phil, Phil would have given books and he, Phil knew he never read them and was getting joke books eventually. But, you know, he knew about it. He, he was upset with me, you know, unquestionably. I had a good relationship leading up to those years with him, you know, the book, because, you know, being in New York and being a little snarky and like I would taunt him, you know, I would trash talk him. You know, he'd have a bad game. I'd make fun of him. He liked that stuff. You know, he didn't like to be, you know, celebrated. Oh, you're the greatest and all. Everybody likes that in some sense. But he didn't like that on a one-on-one. And so I was always, you know, like the New York Street kid, you know, what's so good about you? You miss half your shots. So, sure. So we, we got along fine. And, you know, I'd get out to dinner with him, play golf. And, you know, not, not one of his close friends or anything. But, you know, when you're on the road with players, as you know, you know, you just sort of pair up at times and do stuff. And and because he was a big celebrity, you know, a lot of times if his friends, you know, from North Carolina couldn't come on the road because they had to pay their own way, subsidize them sometimes. You know, Lacey Banks, you, know, you probably know my colleagues who on the beat, he'd ask Lacey and I to come up to the room and play cards with him or play ping pong. He'd have a you know table brought up. Lacey was a good ping pong player and kind of a mark, too. He'd always lose, lose his paycheck, Michael. And, <laughs> sure. And uh, I was a, I was much more careful with my economics. But so, you know, I had a good working relationship with him. And then, you know, because he was, I understood, you know, he was, he was viewed, he, and he felt, I, I, I know, I know he felt like this, that I was going to endanger, you know, his reputation and his endorsements and all these kind of things. And of course, it didn't happen. He became more famous and popular and successful. And so I gave up you know, sort of chatting with them, 
And I didn't, I didn't even attempt to do that. But then when he left the baseball and he came back in 95, much more relaxed and he was fine. You know, we would talk. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't go to dinner with him or any of that kind of stuff or sidle up to him and chat. But I would, I'd ask him for interviews and we did some one-on-ones and it was fine. And in subsequent years, I've run into him in Charlotte and he'd be joking around. I remember I ran into Charlotte after he had the, I think he had twins born a few years ago and he was telling me about changing diapers and all this kind of stuff, stuff he didn't do the first time around. So we were fine, but I'm pretty sure he's never read that book. But he heard he heard plenty of, in fact, I remember people used to have, he used to, you know, the locker rooms, as you know, in the NBA used to be just wide open to everybody. Sure. And they'd always be so, especially with Jordan, those celebrities would come in all the time. And Jesse Jackson of Chicago, you know, our Chicago guy would always be in the locker room. And then we we're on the road. And, Michael would sign everything. You know, he had, it would be a parade of people, including referees after the game. Wow. And would be there wow. to sign stuff. How about that? And so he'd sign everything. And, and he really, he was very gracious about it. And he'd spend 10 or 15 minutes going down the line of things. And I, I would be in the locker room doing my stuff and notice things. That there were a couple of times people <laughs> brought a copy of my book to him to sign because, you know, he's a big picture of him on the cover. And I remember him saying, I sign anything but that. <laughs> oh, 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 wow. So the day the book came out with all this stuff, I went to the locker room. And I walked up to Michael and I said, hey, I just want to let you know if you got any questions, you got any problems, uh, I'm here. I'm going to be here. I'm still covering the team. And he didn't look up. He was sorting through his tickets. You know how players used to do that, have all the tickets they were sorting through. Never said a word to me about it. And I, I give him a lot of credit because there was a battle between Michael Jordan and me, I'm losing. I was losing anyway. Of course. Back then. No chance. But he made a point of it, but he was always professional about it. You know, I still had to ask questions in group sessions and all, which I would do, and he would answer mine professionally, just as it was anyone else. Occasionally he would say, yeah, Sam, good point. So there was nothing like there was, you know, like you'd see when Russell Westbrook or some of these characters that do some of this stuff. Oh. He, he was always classy, always professional. And understood, even though he didn't like what I had done, always understood that, you know, that was my job. I had a job to do. And, and in the end, he did implicitly understand that I didn't invade his personal privacy. Sure. He didn't write about his family, didn't write about his kids. It was just about him, his teammates, and basketballs. And initially, you know, when the book went on the bestseller list, I thought, well, he's going to go in the court and just sue me and, you know, <laughs> run, me out of, run me out of legal fees, even though right. he was on the case. But that it was never anything like that yeah. or any hint of that. And like I said, he's done pretty well since then. Oh, boy. I would say so. You know, you've watched Bill Russell play. You've watched Will Chamberlain. The reason why I'm bringing this up, and it's subjective, of course, but Jerry Reynolds, uh, he thinks he thinks LeBron James is the greatest player of all time. Do you get involved in those uh, debates? And if so, you covered Michael Jordan every single game of his career. Is he the greatest, in your opinion, of all time, or do you go somewhere else? Well, let's say this. I write on the Bulls website now, and I, I don't think I'm allowed to say that uh, Jordan's not the greatest. <laughs> you know what? You're right. You're not. <laughs> right. You're, you're right. I did see people don't appreciate, you know, you guys know, and Jerry, of course, too, you know, Wilt and Russell. Somebody asked me this. They said, LeBron and Michael, you're starting a team. Who would you take? And I said, Bill Russell. Because yeah. if I'm starting a team, 
he's the best there ever was for knitting a team together, mm. doing what's necessary. It's hard to build a team around a shooting guard or perimeter player. You know, LeBron had to leave, go join up with other guys to get a title. Michael didn't win a title for seven years. Bill Russell had titles in college, walked into the NBA, won a title. Michael, to me, and not because of, you, you can adjust any numbers the way you want it. Of course, Michael had his run and never lost when he got in the finals and all that. I always viewed LeBron as great. No, no question. Sure. In the top all time. But more of like a supercharged combination of Magic and Scottie Pippen. Because when it comes down to it in the game, what we most measure is the guy who's going to carry you over the finish line. And there was nobody better than Michael Jordan in that. But Michael is the one who's going to take on every challenge at the end. Mm. You know what? You're going to double me with the two best defenders in history? You know what? I'm going to go over both of them and dunk in their face. And it's, it's sort of the, that competitive attitude of challenge that, to me, elevates him. Jordan's competitiveness probably was a sickness to some extent. Everything was a game and a challenge. And so this guy would put himself on the line. That was the other thing, too. I don't know if you unique, but truly great about Jordan. Always was willing to put himself on the line at the end and take responsibility no for question. it. No question. You know, that last shot, you know, which meant play, play, played over in uh, Cleveland when the Bulls kind of started their run in 89 and they did a little thing. And that was one of my favorite moments with Jordan because they, and they showed it in the last dance in my interview. You know, it's game five, you know, the deciding game. And, and by the way, they just lost game four because of him. He missed two clutch free throws. The game goes into overtime and Cleveland wins. So he kind of blows the game, the line at the end, by missing uncharacteristically a couple of free throws. So now we're going into this deciding game. And it's before the game, and he started, he's telling my, my colleagues, Lacey Banks and Kent McDill, the other beat writers at the time, and, and nobody was thinking the Bulls are doing anything. There's nobody else from the media following him. It's just the three of us. <laughs> That's unbelievable. It's not, like the, it's not like the Chicago Tribune's got like a columnist and several people. There's nobody else from Chicago media. <laughs> wow. just, and so he felt, you know, we all picked Cleveland because Cleveland had been 6-0 and against the Bulls that season. Sure. And, and so one of them picked three games, one picked four. And so I, I have more confidence in Jordan. I picked Cleveland in five. And he, he walks up to the three of us before the game, and he's taunting us about our pick. <laughs> now, really, you know, who does that stuff? Right. That's beautiful. And, and, and so everything was, a, you know, as an in-your-face competition, confrontation, all the time with him. And always looking for an edge, too. And always get an edge. You remember, I mean, we travel commercial. So the players, yeah. nobody carried their luggage. They carried their luggage. So we'd go down to baggage claim. We'd get in, go to baggage claim. You're waiting for your bag. And he's betting on which bag's coming down. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, that's classic. Course, well, of course, he's paid off the baggage handler to put his bag <laughs> down first. I love it. You know, and, and these kind of things went on all season long, wherever we were. <laughs> who's the, who's, who's right. the next one that threw the door, you right. know? The little the, the, hey. the dot races on the scoreboard, oh, you know, man. kind of stuff, and, and you saw that in the documentary with yes. the guy who gave yeah. him the little shrug, you know, the security guard when yep. they were tossing, you know, tossing nickels or something. So, yeah, and that that was unique about him, this manic competitiveness that was unrelenting and carried through to the game and challenged everybody. And to me, that that raises him above a level of anybody who's played because of that and what he accomplished. You know, the championships, 
every time he got there, winning MVPs, whatever the case might be. To me, it doesn't diminish LeBron just because I say Michael's better. So, you know, you're great too. You know, it's like Washington was great, but, you know, so is FDR. Or yep. So was Jefferson. You know, it yep. doesn't mean you're bad because the other guy's good. You know what? And the final thing for you here, the thing that really struck me, the it was like the Rolling Stones, you know, everywhere the Bulls went, it was unbelievable. And that was before social media. Could you imagine Michael Jordan in today's world with camera phones, social media, uh, basically being with him everywhere? I mean, he going to casinos, everything. Could you imagine what Jordan's life would have been like, because you know what it was like. You were with him every day. But could you imagine if he played in an era where there was social media, how crazy that would have been? Yeah, well, he used to complain to us. He would always say, you know, you guys, you know, you don't know what it's like. You can't go to the grocery and go shopping. Like, I can't. He said, well, I don't want to. You know, I've got to. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? right. You got people who can do it for you. <laughs> right. And so, it, it, I mean, it really, it, it was, you know, whatever, you know, cliche you compare it to, rock star there was nothing like that and then as it grew there was nothing like the bulls in 95 96 when he came back because you you had the story building to that level here's this greatest player and retires after three titles you know walks away kind of like jimmy brown nobody had done this and then then comes back you know when he comes back it's it's the biggest story in the world you know i remember president clinton at the time you know talking doing a press conference right before that about the labor statistics and say, you know, it's encouraging because I, I know we're adding to it because Michael Jordan's coming back. That's <laughs> unbelievable. So this, is, this, this is the biggest subject in the world. And now you add to that, you know, this, this maniac Rodman with all his, you know, behavior and activities and, and, and Phil Jackson with the coaching and the thing. And so you have these incredible personalities and talents all together, all mixed. There's nothing like that ever in the past and nothing like that ever would, you know, whatever Golden State, Golden State had this great run and Curry dribbled around a lot before the game and saying, nobody did, nobody, nobody ever rivaled what, what the world viewed with Michael Jordan. I agree with that. Especially as it grew into the nineties and it would never be repeated again because of that confluence of characters. But I I even remember we, you know, back in the eighties, you know, Jordan's, Famous. He's not winning anything yet, and he's viewed around the NBA as selfish scorer, not going to win. But he's this incredible celebrity. You know, the, the Nike, the shoes, the Spike Lee commercials, and so he's already transcended on celebrity-wise. So I remember we'd be on the team bus, which back then, you know, any you could ride any team bus. Sure. You know, if I was with, if I was doing a feature or something, I would just get on the Boston team bus. <laughs> the NBA was so open; it was it was so accommodating. So. I remember there were occasions, there was one occasion where a girl, you know, it's like teenager, it was like, you know, for, you'd see teenagers with the Beatles. And she had jumped in front of the bus and she was screaming that she wanted to be run over by the bus Michael Jordan was on. <laughs> oh my and, gosh. Wow. You know, and so we would, we'd see these things going on and it was just surreal. That's incredible. <laughs> I was, you, know, yeah. you couldn't imagine what you were being a part of, but because you're part of it, it doesn't seem like it's anything special because you're part of it. And you go, well, I'm not special, Unbelievable. <laughs> but I'm here. Well, Sam, anyway. I, I got to tell you, I really enjoyed this. And I'm really hoping that we get back to normal because I know how much you just love talking basketball 
with visiting teams that come in. I've always watched you every time we're in Chicago, and whether you're talking to Jerry Reynolds or one of the coaches, and uh, you, that just is something you love. You love talking basketball. You love being around people. And uh, for, for those like yourself and Jerry, because I just talked to Jerry about this the other day, and you now are isolated and everything's so different, but I'm really hoping that we can get back to normal. And I know for someone like you to be able to talk to those that uh, you have admired and followed for so many years, you must really miss that in your life. I wish you the best. I hope you have a great Great holiday, and uh, I really appreciate you joining me here. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, this was great. I miss seeing you, and uh, look forward to, like you say, getting back and hopefully seeing you again along the way. Let's move along to our Q&A, and if you go to crowdquestion.com, just sign up, and you can ask me a question, and I'll answer it right here on my podcast. This is from Eric. As James Harden has failed to win a championship in Houston, do you see any situation or team he could win with? Love the podcast. Well, stay tuned because he's my rant today. Yeah, James Harden could win a championship, but I don't think James Harden can be the main guy and win a championship. I mean, how many times do you have to watch James Harden in a big game when the Rockets were facing elimination come up empty? So could he win a championship? Of course he could. But if James Harden's the guy, and I know he's won MVPs and I get all of that, then no, I don't think you are winning a championship. All right, Peter asked, hey, Grant, enjoy the podcast. You have spoken about people in Sacramento that supported you over these last few months, particularly Jerry Reynolds, among others. If you feel comfortable addressing this, how is your relationship currently with Carmichael Dave and Gary Gerald? Uh, Excellent. Carmichael Dave is great. He's been phenomenal. I can't say enough about uh, the support that I received from Carmichael Dave. Uh, G-Man has reached out to me uh, several times during the last couple of months, and I have the utmost respect for uh, G-Man. So my relationship is as it always has been with those two, uh, Carmichael Dave uh, and Gary Gerald. So nothing bad there. Trust me. It's uh, A-plus across the board. All right, for Martin, what are Ian Book's chances as an NFL quarterback? I think he is a middle to late round Uh, I think his draft stock has gone up the last couple of weeks. I know that before the last couple of weeks, most draft experts had him late round or undrafted. I'm just pulling for this guy. I've watched him play. You know, I watched Ian Book play his first ever game at age eight. Uh, My son Chase was on uh, the team that Ian was on in El Dorado Hills, and I have followed Ian Book all the way up through uh, high school. I've watched him play not only football, but lacrosse. And I'm a big fan of Ian's. I'm really pulling for him. But uh, again, we'll have to wait and see. I think a lot will also depend on what happens uh, the rest of the way uh, for Notre Dame. Ross asks, what do you think about Gruden as the Raiders coach with the gigantic contract? I'm not crazy about John Gruden. You know, they were very lucky to win on Sunday. They got blown out last week against Atlanta. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not crazy about John Gruden as a coach, to be honest with you. I think it was ridiculous that Mark Davis gave him a 10-year, $100 million deal. I just, you know, again, I, I don't understand it. I really don't. I don't think the Raiders are going to make the playoffs this year. Um, and if they do, I think it's going to be a quick exit. But, boy, were they lucky to beat that Jets team. I'm just not crazy about John Gruden uh, as coach. And the contract, you know, again, I, I don't understand what Mark Davis was thinking about. Charlie asked, what do you and the wife do for fun? Uh, We love to travel. We love going out for walks. Uh, My wife is a workout fanatic, so we're at the gym a lot. Uh, No, I do not work out like she does, but 
you know, we just uh, we we really enjoy each other's company. I'm her best friend. She's my best friend. I mean, we go uh, and do everything together. So we have fun all the time. To be honest with you, even when we're doing nothing, we have fun. But those are some of the things that we do like to do. Simon asks, "Have you ever been in a fantasy sports league?" A quick answer: No, and I never will. My boys, both Trent and Chase, love fantasy sports. Uh, I've never been one to even look into it. I don't think I would enjoy it. And so, no. And you'll never see me. I shouldn't say never, but I would say 99.1%. I'm going to leave nine-tenths of a percent that I'd join a fantasy league someday. Now, let me raise that. 99.9. Not going to happen. Grant asks, have you watched any of the pro lacrosse league? And if so, what's your opinion of it? You know, actually, I have, and I love it. You know, I'm a big lacrosse fan. I played up until I was 50. I'm a big fan of lacrosse, and I do like the pro lacrosse league. And I, I, I wouldn't say that, like, I schedule my day around it. But if I'm flipping around and I see that lacrosse is on, uh, I watch it. And I love it. I, I really do. I really enjoy it. So I, I'm glad you asked that question. I do enjoy watching uh, when I get an opportunity. It's time for Rant. Today's rant is brought to you by New Works Plumbing, locally owned in Sacramento for 20 years. Leak detection, waterline repair, bathroom plumbing. New Works Plumbing is a full-service plumbing solution. No matter how small or how large your plumbing problem, they've got a fix for you. Their expert technicians are available 24-7 for all of your plumbing needs. Just go to newworksplumbing.com. That's N-E-W-W-R-X plumbing.com. All right, one practice is in the books in the NBA, and guess who wasn't there? That's right, James Harden. That's right. And where was James Harden? James Harden put out on Instagram, he was at Little Baby's birthday party in Atlanta, and he was shown not wearing a mask. So while all the Houston Rockets were in Houston, getting ready for the season, which begins on December 22nd. James Harden not only was not with the team, but he was in Atlanta with little baby. Speaking about baby, how about a big freaking baby James Harden who has to have his way all the time? Remember I did a rant on this a couple of weeks before Harden and Westbrook voiced their displeasure with the direction of the team. How the hell are the Houston Rockets supposed to be any good and go anywhere when James Harden is a guy that you're catering to all the time? I've said this so often, and I'm going to say it again. When you have a different set of rules and you cater to players like James Harden, that's exactly what you get. You know, it's not like James Harden has delivered for the Houston Rockets. As a matter of fact, the guy has freaking wet his pants in the biggest of spots in elimination games in the playoffs, all right? But yet you make all these special rules for James Harden, and that's what you get. And if you're Steven Silas, the head coach of the Rockets, and you're looking at this from James Harden perspective, you're killing your rookie head coach. You're absolutely killing the guy. All right? You're making it very difficult before the season even begins. All right? Here's what Silas had to say. I'm not exactly sure what hoops he has to jump through in order to practice with the team. I would just say... I want him here, and I want him to be a big part of what we're doing. I'm excited to coach him and have him be a part of what we just had out there with a good practice, with a bunch of guys who are working hard on both ends of the floor and had a good vibe about them. But not James Harden. 
Oh, no, he's too good to be with his teammates. Because you know why? He can walk in anytime he wants, and the Rockets are going to bend over, and they're just going to kiss his ass and let him do whatever he wants. And then the Rockets, if they don't trade Harden, they'll get to the postseason after having a very exciting regular season. They might win a round, and then they'll lose a round because James Harden hogs the ball, will take 40 shots and miss 35 of them, and then you'll say, well, gee, what are we going to do next season? That's exactly what's going to happen. And again, I feel bad for Steven Silas. You know, he has to come out and say, I'm looking forward to him getting here, getting in the building, and then we can talk about what's best. But you know, that's kind of work in progress right now. Yeah, you think it's a kind of a work in progress right now? It's the entire management style of the Houston Rockets. Let's kiss James Harden's ass. Let's just cater to him. Let's us just foam at the mouth of James Harden. And what has James Harden done for the Houston Rockets? You know what he's done? He's put an exciting product on the floor. He's been an MVP, but that's about it. All right? Because when the playoffs start and when you get deep into the playoffs and you need James Harden to win a game for you, not happening. James Harden is not winning a game for you. So I don't feel sorry for the Houston Rockets. And if I'm looking at this and I'm watching James Harden, shame on you. Absolutely disgraceful that your teammates are in Houston. All right? It's a short training camp. And you're at a birthday party in Atlanta with a rapper, and I don't care who you're at a birthday party with, and you don't have a mask on, you're basically snubbing at everyone. You're basically just going, screw you, I don't care. Well, you know what, James Harden? Shame on you. And that's my rant for today. And that's today's podcast. Really enjoy you listening to the podcast. Hey, do me a favor. Would you subscribe and take time and leave a comment? Uh, I do try to respond to all the comments that I can. Now, on the podcast platform, I'm not able to respond to the individual comments, but trust me, I read them all. So thank you very much. Leave a comment, pass the word around. I love doing the podcast, love my Grant's rant. Speaking of Grant's rant, I ran into someone the other day. They were totally unaware that I do a video rant as well as an audio rant, and it's on YouTube. So you can watch my video rants on my YouTube channel, if you don't like that with Grant Napier. And again, please subscribe on YouTube. Leave a comment because on YouTube, I can and I do respond to all of the comments. And as always, thanks for listening to If You Don't Like That with Grant Napier. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.